Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Charity Stripe on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe Pitcher Free Throws because they are free. Joshua Fisher, Alexander Tossing the Rock, Tosopolis, DJ, Nikki, Snacks, Kreider, and our guest, one of the founding fathers, founding fathers of DraftKings, President Matt Kalish, joining the boys. Matt, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. How are you today? We're doing good, man. Can't complain. Sunny California. We know you're in Boston, a little peanut butter and jealous. Boston in the fall is great. Almost as good as Boston in the summer. So much to discuss. We want to talk DraftKings. We've got to talk Patriots because we may be in a Bledsoe Brady situation with Bailey Zappi. I don't want to speak too soon, but it may be the second coming. <laughs> got to ask you, though, you know, doing a little dive on what you guys are working on lately. Talk to us about Rainmakers, man, because that's just kind of give like a little overview on it, of course, and really how you guys came up with that concept, because it's so interesting bringing in NFTs, trading cards, and kind of combining it into the betting and fantasy world. Yeah, it kind of merge everything that, like myself personally, but a lot of our, um, I'd say, core audience really are spending their time on, you know, when it's stuff like collecting sports cards, uh, crypto, NFTs, stock trading, um, you know, fantasy sports or sports betting, just predicting like sport outcomes, all that stuff is kind of merged into one thing with Rainmakers, which is, um, you know, through breaking packs, winning auctions uh, or shopping cards on secondary, almost like it was eBay with sports cards, you know, you can build a collection of, of athletes and then use them in a fantasy game where you're competing for uh, prizes every week. And the contests have no fee, really, like the, the cost of the game is collecting the cards that you're using in fantasy. So once you have a collection, you can just use it every week, with no cost or anything, and, and pick what you want to compete for. So this is year one. Uh, we have four weeks under our belt. It's been really, really cool, like a new platform altogether that didn't even exist a year ago. It's now, you know, tens of thousands of people are using it every Sunday. So it's been, like, very fun. Yeah. And we have UFC kind of quick follow coming a little bit later this mm. year as well. So nice. you know, Rainmakers is really being built as a franchise, uh, like yeah. uh, where you collect, play, and and win prizing with your cards. Yeah, it almost yeah. reminds me of like Ultimate Team in Madden or like 2K, yeah. but the stakes are higher. You can actually win real prizes, which is great, rather than just playing for pride. It's, I think, a decent bit like the ultimate team experience like the more you're you're playing you can win you know more free cards mm-hmm. improve your team you can sell things that you don't want you know go pick up missing pieces you know kind of similar to the the marketplace that they have and so i think if you've played ultimate team it'll feel decently familiar you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i mean it's i mean it's crazy what nfts have become and so how important, and it's honestly also crazy how important communities have come. 
And I kind of like looking at what you guys have been doing with Rainmakers, you can see how important like the DraftKings community has become and not just like a separate entity. How important was that to kind of really create a community and not just be like a business or like a place where you could come bet and play daily fantasy, but a place where people could actually come hang out, be in part of a discord and, and talk and get to know each other within, within that community? It's pretty important. People spend a ton of time, um, like whether it's researching or actually building teams and, and mm -hmm. competing in fantasy every year, it's like a huge amount of time goes into that. And in the case of Rainmakers, it's even more, I would say, um, active because beyond just building fantasy lineups, like you're also always on the market. Like you're able to buy, sell, trade cards 24 seven, just like always should be keeping your eye on things that pop up for sale or whatever. So um, it's become, I think, like such a big uh, uh, like hobby and it takes up a lot of people's recreational time. So other people spending their time that way too, like they all want to come together. They want to talk about the game, just like kick ideas around. Even some of the people that are the absolute like sharpest of the sharp fantasy people from like DFS that I've known for 10 years that always do well, you know, just hearing some of their early questions, you know, everyone's starting from day one. In nice. Game, yeah. So even Bring like everyone back to even playing field. Yeah. We love that. Yeah. The questions kind of come across really like uh novice, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's cool because it's a game that over years people come up with strategies and figure out how they want to play it, but it has that depth where it's not like instantly figured out, you know? Yeah. I really like, obviously like one thing that was really popular in the throes of the pandemic um, that I think Josh and I and Nick all participated in the NFT space was NBA top shot. But mm -hmm. one thing that I felt like was seeing from that space was the interactivity. Like it's one thing to own a moment, right? Um, especially if it's minted, that's great. And, and then obviously like the price points and the values of these are changing, but I, but I felt like I lost interest in that because I wasn't doing anything yeah. with the assets that there. I was obtaining. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool to like see the highlight and, and have that Zion Williamson highlight or whatever it is. But was that something that was really important to y'all um, when building out Rainmakers and, and conceptualizing it, that interactivity kind of focus and feature of it? Yeah, I think because we did some some stuff with Autograph, who was, uh, you know, Tom Brady had that NFT company that started up and um, working with Autograph, I think, was tremendous, like learned a lot about NFT space, learned a lot about our audience. And one of the number one things that always came up was people like look to DraftKings to build games like they think it's obvious, right? But like DraftKings is where you go to predict things to compete to you know put something on the line and win money and so the piece of the equation that I think Rainmakers adds is it's the core of what we do you know you're competing with people to win prizing um, if you're sort of uh, uh, making good decisions if you're predicting things accurately you're gonna do well you know and so that ability to like predict things put something on the line make it be whether a lot or a little you know, you can jump in and play and compete. Like that's what we do best. So like building games like that, that's kind of become our focus when it comes to web three NFTs, like these sort of gameplay utility driven products that, you know, you collect them. Yeah, it's every bit as cool as like a top shots or whatever, a sports cart from Panini, 
but like the ability year after year to compete, play, win prizes, you know, trade things around on the marketplace, like that extra layer, I think, you know, I think of the bull case for it as kind of like, what if X percent of people collecting, you know, physical sports cards also start doing this and they just think like it's as cool as that, but I can also compete yield prizes. What if X percent of people playing, you know, ultimate team, like I love collecting a team and improving it and competing, but now I can yield cash, like that's better. So I'm also going to do that, you know. So all of these things like NFT collectors who like art and they think, you know, I'm going to speculate on what will become a cool, like culturally relevant project. Um, that's great, but isn't it better if you could win cash, like tens of millions of cash too, and you have yeah, that backstop be... where you know that there's utility? So it's like if you take chunks from all of these worlds, I think that's sort of the bull case. Yeah, I mean, you Definitely. know, no one's going to say no to winning cash. I mean, I don't know the scientific numbers behind it, but by and large, I'd imagine people are pretty down for that juncture. And it's good that you guys – it's good that you guys don't have like a double jeopardy type system where you have to pay for the cards and then you also have to pay to play. Um, and I'm assuming it's like once you have these cards you have, it's almost like a dynasty league in a sense, right? And then there's different tiers based on the cards you have. So if you have like, let's say a premium card, you're in a different class of the money you're competing for. Yeah. Yeah. So a few things on that. The, the collections are built annually. So the bulk of the pricing that you're competing for with your cards is like a current season collection. Okay. That being said, like the cards are always usable in future years and it'll just be like for lesser guaranteed, like free cash prizes. Still, we'll be able to compete for, you know, uh, current season cards for pricing on some level. Uh, you can burn cards to improve your current season collection. We have like achievements, missions, all this stuff that yield rewards from past season uh, collections as well. So lots and lots of like utility will just exist forever. But the focus of the game will always you know, additionally be on that current season collection. And I think that just helps us get to bigger numbers, bigger prizes, you know, so people are competing for something uh, like very compelling every year. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, it's kind of weird. Like if you paid for something now that 10 years, you know, uh, mm -hmm. like it's distributed out across like 10 years, it's tough, right? right? Yeah. It doesn't feel like you're earning a ton right away. So we were trying to find like the right balance between more of a season long plus game, but also make sure that the prizes are very compelling, like relative to what you're paying to get in. Yeah. I mean, right. that makes two sense. It's pretty standard for like a fantasy Two questions on, on that really quickly. One, if you're just getting started right now in week five of the NFL season, what are some good, I guess, strategies right off the bat that can help you succeed? And then in terms of just the entire scope of the Rainmaker um, platform, what's like one piece of advice you'd give players? Yeah, so the easiest way to get started, there's a free starter pack. Everybody get to open. It gives you a full roster, so you don't actually have to like pay any money to play the game. And then after you open that, the typical first thing people do is you can buy a first superstar player, and that's $9. You come on and like open a pack, and it'll give you one of the top 17 people in the league exactly. um, yeah. at least like preseason wise the top seven i know that changes all the time moving target but at the time you know um so that really will give you like an anchor to make sure you have a really really high-end uh, uh person producing a lot and then 
from there, I think the easiest way to get started is just pick up a couple missing pieces off the secondary market, like shop around, get the exact person you want. Like maybe you want a, a quarterback and wide receiver stack, somebody that matches with your superstar. You know, you can go on and shop the secondary marketplace, add the exact person. If you're more of like a gambler, I think the pack experience is a little bit more like you could get 20% of your investment. You could get 4X your investment. You know, it's uh, volatile based on what you pull out of the pack. So kind of like traditional sports cards. And that's, if you like that variance, I think it's a better way in. Nice. nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, now talk to us about the whole big picture, man. We'll kind of go a little backwards here. How did DraftKings begin? Like, how did you guys, like, how much did you love fantasy? Like, what kind of, what kind of, need did you see in the market that you felt daily because to me like looking back on it and being such an avid fantasy player daily fantasy especially for football makes so much sense because your season could be over week one you know what i'm saying like i've yeah. had years where i've had mccaffrey or saquon and my year was done like you can't i always say you can't win in the first round but you can lose you can lose your fantasy season in the first round so i see the need for a daily fantasy but obviously very much hindsight 2020 what were you seeing when you guys created it? How did the idea come about? And, and, you know, what were some of the big, you know, surprises you guys saw from the jump in creating this thing? Yeah, back in 2012, there was just a lot less sort of like regulated. If you're a, like a sports fan who wants to predict stuff and like bet or um, compete, mm -hmm. it just wasn't a ton of options. You were probably on an illegal offshore sports book and, maybe you're playing like office pools and season long leagues with friends from college or something like that. And that was pretty much what was out there. And then with um, online poker, like I think that was a lot of people's outlet, you know, that was very large. I remember I went to college 2000 through 2004 were my undergraduate years. So I was playing internet poker, like a lot probably 50 hours a week at least it was like Whoa. a big, big thing I played the main event of the world series in like 05 and 06 after I graduated and had the money to do it and whatever and so I was like seriously playing a shit ton of internet poker and I met a lot of people that way too and when that vanished I think there was a void even bigger than ever where it was like now there's really nothing you know, if you think of like a skilled game, not easily solved, meaningful prizes, competitive, whatever. Um, I think DFS kind of fit that mold for a lot of people where, um, yeah, you could really be successful if you just came up with the right sort of game theory, the right big picture strategy, and also like your modeling, your analytics, your ability to predict like who would have good games if that was also on point, like you could do really well. How did you do at it? Were you good from the jump? Like, obviously, you know, you had, you came up with the idea, but were you good at it? And what are some of the strategies you kind of think work best in daily fantasy across like the leagues? Um, yeah, I would say not great. I've always been maybe like a little bit more focused on the macro strategy than the specific like player for casts and stuff so my mo would be i would just like use someone else's you know uh, uh estimates which mm. you can download from a lot of different places you know like a fantasy pros or yeah. um um you know you know fantasy labs you name it like all these different platforms that project 
And so I'd usually use someone else's projections, but then I'd be thinking about like roster composition or whatever. You know, that would be like my main my main thing. So it's very, I think, tough if you don't have both to be successful. Like I think you both need to be able to kind of like be really on top of like um like the strategies and what what will be like an effective strategy in a game, but also like beat the average forecasts that are just out there, like have more insight than the median stuff that you'll just find on the internet that everyone can use, you know, like you have to have that extra little bit of like uh, advantage. Otherwise, I think you'll just kind of blend in, you know, with everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think also having, having that like finance background as well sometimes can help you kind of play these values on players and kind of forecast whether or not the value is warranted, whether they're overly valued or they're undervalued. So I think having kind of all DraftKings player. Yeah. Yeah. It's always changing too. You see the macro, the kind of like meta strategies always like evolve a little bit. If you're playing every day, you get a feel for it. But I remember like very early on, just basic stuff like stacking in baseball, like where you take um, five or six people from the same team and you hope that they score 13 runs and then you just like win everything. So I remember like very early on, 2012, 2013, there was like base strategies like that. You would see them popping up and now it's just much more complicated. People are like trying to estimate ownership and like how popular different people will be across all of the lineups that get made. And then they're you know, trying to be different, but like not insane. And it's just um, I don't know, the nuances and like what people are trying to do just evolve and change. So it keeps it interesting. Yeah. I always look for like, you know, I try to keep it safe for like a big play wide receiver, like a Cooper cup, a guy like Devonte Adams, a guy I know that can at least get me X amount of points for a certain week. Then you try to find like that RB two that you can stream and that wide receiver, like two that you can stream like a Josh Reynolds this week. I remember all three of us were sitting here like, Oh my God, the lines are going to put up a boatload of points, which they did. And RG three, I still can't get over RG three's tweet saying that Antonio Brown, you know, had more D this week than the Seahawks in the line like that <laughs> there's like a hall. Right. There's like for all, like there should be like a Twitter hall of fame. And I feel like that tweet was like, I was like, wow. That was like a hall of fame. Like, you know, like you have to tip your cat and you're like, I can never come up with a tweet that good. Like yeah. I could sit there for hours and hours and Zinger. hours and was just such an bomb, dude. He just no doubter home run over the green monster. But I feel like there's like so many, I feel like quarterbacks, honestly, and even in regular fantasy, like you look at the waiver wire and you see in quarterbacks, like guys like Carson, guys like Jared Goff, like Jared Goff is still available in one of my fantasy leagues. And the dude is a lock. He may throw a pick or two, but he's a dude. He's a lock to throw three or four touchdowns because that defense can't stop a nosebleed. They're going to have to be throwing like 30 plus a game. So I feel like NFL is definitely NBA is the craziest. Like Dak is like, would you say that's the case? Cause that to me is like any given night, like one, like you could have a Terrence Ross 50 point game and you're just like, where, how was I supposed to see that coming? Yeah. I think it's like, generally speaking, one of the more predictable outcome sports but at the same time like you have to predict those kind of like handful of weird outliers like the mm -hmm. value people does everybody come to the same conclusions if you're being too too obvious with it you just say right. like which superstar is out and then who gets share of pie from them that's cheap and you throw them in and it's like 
stars and uh, scrubs line up or whatever uh, with like the backups that are picking up minutes and, and whatever. Um, so it's like everybody knows that though. So then that's where you got to get weird with it and figure out like who could be the Terrence Ross or whatever. Yeah, you know, like the, the person who just show up and they normally score 20, but tonight they got like 43, you know? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I think I think it's really interesting. But as a whole, I feel like people believe because it's more like if you get the minutes right for a basketball player, you kind of like know what they're going to produce. And there's mm-hmm. like so many uh, like scoring events. It's so fluid that typically if you can like estimate minutes, you're kind of close. Yeah, I remember like Russ was like always Russ was like such in his like heyday, like when he literally had the ball in his hands for 24 seven. On like DFS, Russ was such like a hit or miss because he would go up for like 60 points one game and be absolutely uber efficient. Then the next game, he'd have like 10 turnovers and miss like 30 shots. And you're like, dude, like I just picked the wrong night. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little boom and bust. My favorite player, I'm like a Celtic season ticket holder and my favorite Celtic, I love all of them, but Robert Williams is like my number one. I have the biggest bag of like Robert Williams rookies. Time Lord. I have like two logo mans, like of the of five and a bunch of like really sick stuff. So if he becomes the absolute goat, like I'm in great shape. And he always has the same stat line, which is he scores like 11 points for lobs and like what offensive rebounds that he just puts back. So it's like he's never the focus of the offense, but he gets like 12 points a game. He has three blocks. He has like 11 rebounds every game. It's same stat every single game. If you take him, you're just getting like 29 fantasy points, you know? Yeah. And he's uber efficient too. And like the thing with Rob Will, he always scores like the first two or four points of the game. Like somehow, some way, the offense yeah. just sets and it just kind of flows through him from the gym. It's a great yeah, prop bet, first, first basket. It's a great, that, that's like some, you know, uncut gems type stuff right there. I think, I, I, yeah, I mean, that, how do you feel about that movie? This is a little off the, you know, how do you feel about that movie? You know, obviously working in, in the sports world. Did you like that, the sports betting world? Do you like that movie? Oh my gosh, you know, I, I haven't seen it. I probably should though, huh? Oh, wow. dude. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I, I, watch it during the daytime. That the Adam a- Sandler one? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. I mean, all all Sandman sports movies must are a must in this. But, but it's very Celtics related too, so you'll love it. It is Celtics heavy. You'd like it. Yeah, it's uber Celtics heavy. It's which is also great. very anxiety inducing. So I would just <laughs> make sure you have your your beverage of choice next. To I was gonna say, dude, it. have a diet coke ready for some reason. I feel like that like really eases the nerves in people's lives. Who's your favorite Celtics player of all time? God, you know, because I literally grew up. I was born in Lowell, Mass. So I've yeah. been around the area my my whole life. I did catch the end of like the Larry Bird, Mikhail, Robert Parrish era. And I would say like, just because of how I grew up, probably Paul Pierce was the most, but I've had a lot of reps like watching Paul Pierce. And I think I'd have to say Paul Pierce and, um, yeah, that being said, I don't know. There's a lot of good options here. <laughs> so many good options. Now it's yeah. Robert Williams. I mean, I hope he comes yeah. back healthy. I mean, that's I'm glad that you have stock on his island, though. Like, you know, we always that's how we'll say, like, we'll talk about players. Like, do you have a mansion on that guy's island? Do you have like a condo? And I'm glad that you, it seems like you have like between like a really nice suburban family home and like a Beverly Hills mansion on Rob Will Island, which is which is great to see because, yeah, I mean, he's. 
he's a major catalyst for the Celtics. And honestly, like, do, how do you feel about the season? Like, I know clearly you're a season ticket holder and there's, you know, they weigh a lot in your life. How do you feel about them going back and repeating and winning the East? Um, I don't know, always tougher than people think. Like, it, they're about three to one to win the East. It was like plus 275 when I looked the other day. That was before the Blake Griffin news. So I, I haven't looked actually like what our team moved him to, if anything. But yeah, yeah. I'm guessing it's still the same, right? Probably the same. Um, Bucks are super tough. The Sixers yeah. are, are super tough. And, yeah, I think, I think Harden's on a mission. Nets, this year. Right. So it's going to come down to like, do the Nets do anything or are they just going to be like inept, despite having the resources to have a great team, like if they just under deliver again? So I think the Nets are always a wild card. The Bucks, you know, are going to be like the tough, like that's who you got to get through, I think. So what did you think about, about people saying after the Celtics beat the Bucks last year in that series, that if Middleton had been playing, that it would have been complete. You agree with that? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Giannis is like so good. He's so good. (laughs) <laughs> he's like the easily best player in the league it's yeah. not, not particularly close and in my opinion and yeah like with anywhere else to go with the ball you know <laughs> I think they tried to make the most of it like Drew Holiday did all right he had like a few games that he I think made the difference but I don't know we barely scraped by on that one Mm-hmm. Um, I also think there was the narrative too around they punted the last game of the regular series and or, or of the regular season and lost home court in that series against the Celtics. So like we got to play them at home in game seven because they just kind of like didn't focus on that game. Right. And uh, I think they like rested all their starters or something. It was yeah, yeah. Weird. I forgot what that's such a, like a little tidbit that went under the radar. I remember that. I think having home court was huge. And I'm with you though. I mean, I think any honest Celtics fan would tell you if like if the Bucks had Middleton, it's not like you're missing like a tertiary piece. That's like, okay, this guy is good for like 15 a game. This is like yeah. a legitimate all-star. It's the, it's, it's pretty much the equivalent of us missing Jalen Brown. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's this guy, um, Heralibus. He's like the famous NBA sports better that everybody knows. He yeah. Like, he used to work for the Mavs for, for a while. Yeah yeah. 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 So he's in one of my crypto punk collector, like for NFTs, we had just have, like a group of just crypto punk owners that we started talking about hoops though. And his take was like the Buck Celtics series was basically the NBA finals. It's like heat are definitely losing. That's to me, the NBA finals. So once we were playing golden state in the finals, like I think everybody sharp was pretty much on the Celtics. They were like bombing it, you know, the whole time. Like it just seemed like, that's where the value was. And I don't know, for whatever reason, just didn't get it done. But I, I definitely think that the team can like get back to that place and probably goes through the bucks. Yeah. I mean, once you've met the warriors in the finals, it just became when they're that hot, there's just, there is just no team in the history of the league that could keep up with them shooting wise. Not no maybe way. one night. Like the, we got, we still, when we won the first, when we won game one, like I, we were at a bar. Have you been to Los Angeles? But you've got been to Los. That's probably a dumb question. Have you ever been to Jameson's Bar? It's like a kind of like a rowdy bar in Santa Monica. I have not. Okay, Rick, wicked fun. Um, younger vibe. It's good. Great place to watch a game. 
very heavy Warriors, very heavy Celtics. It was a super intense atmosphere. People were yelling. People were heckling. We felt like we were back in Boston. It was a great vibe. And when we took game one, we were stoked. And then I obviously, I went on a trip to Europe and I had to wake up at like 3 a.m., 3.30 a.m. every day to watch these games. And it just ended in heartbreak. And so then I was like sad and tired for my Europe. We powered just wish you never woke up. No, no, no. You got to support the boys. You got, I mean, look, I mean, your team, how often do we make the final? It's so tough. I mean, like we dealt with it. Yep. We, I mean, Matt, you know, we dealt with like LeBron making the finals every year. Uh, switching gears to football is Mac Jones, our guy. How do you feel about Mac? Are you with me? That eh? is it Bailey? Is it Bailey? Are we going to be riding Bailey Zappy now? Are we getting another Bledsoe Brady type situation? I don't know, man. It's everybody. Like, uh, I remember the game last year, cold weather in Buffalo, and they won, and then they were leading the AFC Yeah, for, like, one game. And everybody was ready to give him credit to be Tom Brady 2.0. Even, like, the local trading card market for all the Mac Jones stuff was, like, uh, all, ridiculous yeah. level. Yeah, and I don't know. He has some stuff to prove. We'll see. It's tough because it's not even just like, is he pretty good? Like, could he be top 10 quarterback? Which he's definitely not. Like, I think his ADP, he was probably like near 20, right? It's like 17, Mm -hmm. 18. Yeah, yeah, best. Um, Yeah, so he's got some major things to prove. But also like in Boston, there's so much attention for sports. Like, um, I'm already focused on the Celtics. Yeah, you guys are so so used to winning. Yeah, yeah. So people around here just don't have a lot of patience. Yep, exactly. It's the onus, I feel like, unfortunately, is just going to be on him to make it happen and, like, become a spectacle when there's so much else going on that, like, I could easily just pay attention to Tatum and Jalen Brown and, like, other things that are just hotter in town, right? Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. I think I told these... I told these guys once they're like Hoyer's starting. I was like, I'm not going to watch the game. Like I, I'm not by watching Hoyer versus Rogers. It happened. I was just, I became a piece of couch. You yeah. I watched. I mean, I'm not going to not watch, you know, I'm addicted to football. Like right. literally, like literally it's like straight up like an addiction. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so you have to watch the you game. You can just but... pay more attention to your fantasy shit too. Like that's the thing. It's, it's, you no longer like, no matter what, if you don't want to be like, you don't have to be a slave to a team like your local team. You can build fantasy teams, cheer for different people every week. You can like do sports betting and yeah. back any team you want. I, I'd and imagine uh, all the all the teams that relocated, the Rams and the Chargers, where they lost fans, probably helped uh, daily fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. There's definitely like a, a new guard, I think, of sports fans that are like, people who grew up in the like digital fantasy sports sports betting era that are like just consuming it differently it's not the same as when like my dad grew up and he was just like my dad was born in Lowell and I was born in Lowell and it was like everybody around my dad worked at like a prison and everybody that he worked with were all just (laughs) like sports fans that followed the local team so you're definitely cheering for the Red Sox you're definitely cheering for Celtics and Patriots and whatever and Bruins and then now though it's just so different I mean yeah I think teams have to like it's a it's really a national market like any team could resonate with anyone uh and then you have your sports bets you have your fantasy stuff you're doing it's like 
yeah. way less of a factor. Part of me wishes I was in that era just because fans were so much more passionate. Like yeah. they just, it just meant more to them when like their team won. Now it's just like, eh, whatever. Like I'll just turn it off. You know, I'm not going to watch the second half. I got called out on Sunday. I was watching my friend and like I high-fived her after a CD Lamb touchdown. And then I high-fived after a big Josh Reynolds play. And then I high-fived after a Josh Allen touchdown. And she was like, what team are you rooting for? And I yeah. was like, I was like, this is like years True. of unpacking that I would have to do to explain this to you of how involved and invested I I'm rooting for like I'm rooting for five teams. There are two on ESPN, two on Sleeper, daily fantasy teams would make it six, and then they just across the board. Like you're rooting for like six teams. All of them have different players, some of them have the same player. Uh, a couple more for you though, Matt. Um, what was like some of the obviously being an uh, an entrepreneur? You know, we work obviously with our show. We also, you know, our show is under the Believe Network. We're producers and talent. Nick's a talent director for it, so we're working on building a network as well. And there's so many highs and so many lows being an an entrepreneur, and it can be a little suffocating at times. What was like a big moment where you felt some like alleviation, where you could really breathe and like relax and kind of appreciate the work you've done? Um. We've had a really good run and good luck as well with being able to launch new products all the time. Like sure. had sports betting in 2018 not opened up in the US. Like I don't think we would have obviously launched it, but like given the opportunity. So I feel like every time we get to like a great place and like for example in fantasy, it was many years to get to the point of like millions of people playing daily fantasy. It's kind of almost household name a household product that everybody knows about and then also competitively like getting the number one and getting to a platform that was bigger than you know FanDuel and all of that that was like five years you know and so I'd say like you hit a milestone like that and it feels good but then the next thing that happened was sports betting opened up in the U.S. then we launched and we're like shit we have 10 new competitors it's like these european entrants from you know sports betting like like flutter or entain or bet 365 there's all these big media companies like fox launching foxbet um casino companies like mgm caesars uh, mm -hmm. as well as like fanduel who we were competing with before so yeah i feel like the game kept changing so never got so comfortable with where we sat because we were just like always launching something new that we felt like we just had tremendous amounts to improve but like I would say going public was a pretty awesome milestone like that was probably like the best opportunity to take a minute and think about accomplishments and what's next and yeah because you have to do the road show so you're going out and you're telling the story of the company you're talking about the metrics you're talking about what um investments you want to make in the future because like when you're public you know all this stuff is out there every quarter so um just putting together all of that like the road show the communications all of that stuff was like a nice moment for the team to reflect on everything you know that's right. happened yeah. yeah i guess once you have so much success you know like you obviously keep on getting into bigger and bigger competitions the same with you know if you're an actor you know getting a bigger role or if you're making it to the pros you know versus college and, and high school so the competition uh gets a little stiffer last question for you this is something we ask to all of our guests that ever come on this show it can be about anything that you've ever experienced in your life as a player as a fan whatever it may be what is your favorite sports memory of all time mm. 
So best, I would say like single memory was probably like the first Super Bowl I ever went to was Houston, the the Houston Super Bowl with Patriots versus um, Atlanta, where Matt Ryan blew the 28-3 lead. Wow. And like single-handedly, you know, Matt Ryan was the only person involved in them blowing it, of course. <laughs> so Matt, and I, I went to Boston College for my uh, MBA. So I have a little bit of affinity for like the Matt Ryan. Right. Yeah. Boston I saw College that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just watching that unfold was crazy. There was like a couple moments too that I'll never forget. Like I remember Julio Jones made an insane catch in the fourth quarter that game was over. Like he caught that. Everybody's just like, this game's over. Then somehow Matt Ryan gets sacked twice or something. I can't yeah. remember. He sacked himself out of field goal range. <laughs> they were like, oh shit, it's still a game. And, you know, once um, they pushed it to overtime and won the flip, I remember two chains, the rapper, like storming, big Atlanta fan. He was like storming up the, the stairs, didn't even need to see the end because he just like knew that they fucked it up. So he was just <laughs> so pissed walking up. Um, yeah, that was crazy. You couldn't believe what was happening in front of your eyes. Was there any point whatsoever that you were like, "All right, let's pack it up. Let's leave the game early. This isn't gonna, this isn't gonna turn our way." Mm, you know, if it was just me, I probably would have. I am that kind of fan, honestly. Really? Like, I would. If I feel like it's just over, I'm not staying. Okay, like, I'm just not. And uh, I was with a group, so like Jason, one of my partners who's our CEO, Jason Robbins. He was at the game and we were hosting a couple people. So it was more of like a mm -hmm. nice, like- Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, yeah it was, was kind of like a bit, social yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I'll just kind of stay, but this game sucks and it's like totally over. And yeah, had I left, it would have been missing maybe the greatest comeback ever. I mean, yeah, it is the, oh my God, thank God you stayed. I was, you said you left, I would have cried inside. The After they, what was it, game six- of the heat spurs when all the fans left in the whiteout and then they tried to get back in after Jesus hit that shot. Like that was like, after that, I'm like, I'll never leave a sports. Yeah, was that the Ray Allen one where he yeah. hit? The thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That was sick. Yeah. That amazing. was a pretty incredible shot. Yeah. The greatest shot in the history of the game, man. Yeah. Bosch to Ray Allen. Yeah. That was filthy. Yeah. So um, was I hope that we get a moment like that. You know, the, the new Celtics this year. I hope we get a moment like that. You know, we had some really, really special games, but um, I don't think we had quite that one. You know, it's like the Jordan flu game mm -hmm. or like the spin, whatever. So they're going to win a title. I'm pretty sure they have good experience. The team is like very, very good chemistry. If it's not this year, I think we'll in the next few years, hopefully get one of those moments. I want to say to you, and I hope you agree with this, the literal guy I felt we needed last year was Malcolm Brogdon. And the fact yeah. that the, I literally every like I love Marcus Smart. We are we're all Texas guys, so we all watched Marcus Smart kick our ass at Oklahoma State every year that he was there. But we needed a guy who can just run the point, but be a true threat to score in his own. And Marcus Smart, while he can go in spurts, just isn't that just wasn't that guy at times. And I felt Malcolm Brogdon is a more true point guard to help facilitate the offense. So I thought that was like that that was a piece to me and it moves me by Brad. I'm like, okay, this is a team that's like noticing, not just resting on their laurels. Okay, we went to the finals, but looking at 
the roster and being like, we didn't win. What can we do better type deal? Yeah, I think it was asking Marcus Smart to be like a point guard, but also there was a lot of minutes are getting played by like, um, for example, like Peyton Pritchard or um, Derek White or uh, like there's just minutes getting kind of chewed up by statistically like less efficient scorers or mm-hmm. producers. So it's even just like subtly changing the pie a little bit and he's just like a little bit more efficient, you know? I think that can make a difference because it's, you know, razor thin margins in some of these games, like one or two plays. Everybody's pretty good at analytics. Everybody's pretty good at like making decisions, except um, Steve Nash and maybe a couple other people. Like there's most people are like very, very analytical at this point, and they're not going to just like hand you the game. Right. So I do think that those things matter. And um, like, I love Derek White. I like Pritch. I like all these people but like brogdon's pretty elite scorer i mean he's let's gonna see, be yeah. like efficient he's also it just lets, like so additive without taking anything away like personality wise yeah, or nothing. any of the flow that yeah. existed last and to year. your point maybe marcus smart doesn't have to shoot as much whatever um because like who do you want shooting really you want brogdon you want grant williams is fine you want you know jt and Jalen and um al horford and like that's pretty much who you want shooting the ball. <laughs> yeah, and it lets you go small ball too, like with him at the end of the game, like yeah. rather than and then you whoever's playing better, whoever you really need, if you need more of a defensive guy with Rob Boel, or you have to need more offense with Horford, it lets you kind of pick and choose which guy you go with there. But let you could play Smart and Brogdon at the same time late in the game, which I felt we didn't really have against the Warriors. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So many, so many options, but everything goes through you. Now we're going to have to get you on. Obviously we love talking DraftKings, and your story has been, your story is incredible. And what you've accomplished, I don't need to tell you this, but I will say like, it's really just so awesome to see. I mean, cause we are, we, that it was our, it's our generation of guys. You know what I'm saying? Like we're 27. So we were just participating from when you guys jumped and now to see all these things like the rainmakers thing, honestly, like I was like in a rabbit hole, like reading about it. It's just really such a cool and an innovative concept. Um, so it's really great to see all the things you've done. We're going to have to get you back though, for a mid season recap of the Celtics and just talk hoops, man. So get, get geared up and yeah. bucked up for that, man. Um, but yeah. ladies and gents, you've heard us a million and one times, but Matt Kalish, thank you so much for joining us today. Hit your free throws, man. We'll see you around. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.